right, so here we are in the middle of our series, Problem of God. We're getting ready to wrap it up. If you are with us, and this is the first Sunday you've tuned in, uh, we're glad that you're here. This, this series has really been all about dealing with the questions and the doubts and the obstacles and the problems that keep some people from either believing in God for the first time, or, or even if you believe in God, these are the questions and the problems that you struggle with, you ask, and you wrestle with. Uh, we started out by looking at the problem of science in God, science and faith, and, and are the two incompatible? You know, science is it searches for truth. Uh, we looked at what Jesus said, and Jesus said, if, if you know the truth, it's going to set you free. And so we said that those two aren't actually incompatible at all. They, they go together really, really well. And then last week, we talked a little bit about uh, I'm sure then the next week we talked a little bit about Scripture and how uh, God gave us His Word so we could take Him at His Word. And the more that we uh, explore Scripture and the way that it connects with what we know about history and archaeology, the more that we find Scripture to be trustworthy and dependable, and so we can take God at His Word. And, and then we turned and we looked a little bit at that really difficult problem, the problem of pain and suffering and evil. And we saw that, you know, that's a problem for all of us. We all wrestle with that from time to time. Why do bad things happen? And, and we even talked a little bit about hell. You know, how does that all fit together into this? And, and that's a real struggle. And, and we realized that only God could bring perfect justice. And the reason we've got a problem with pain and evil and suffering is because we were created for perfection. God created us for more than that. And last week we talked about that's what morality is. You know, morality isn't a set of rules, but it's actually a set of best practices that God gave us to get the most out of life. Now today we're going to turn the corner again and we're going to look at another problem, and that is the problem that I think is probably the biggest PR problem for the church. The biggest PR problem for Christianity in general is Christians. Um, you know, it, it's people that say they believe in God but don't live like they believe in God. It's the problem of hypocrisy. It's the problem that, that we've all encountered and we've all contributed to if we're Christ followers and we're really, really honest from time to time. You know, but the world looks at Christians, and maybe you're here this morning, and, and you don't believe in Jesus, and, and the reason you don't believe in Jesus is because you, you can't believe that, that, you know, this guy you work with, you know, you, you hear about the way he sings praises on Sunday morning, but you know what he's doing on Friday night, and you're going, the two don't seem to go together. You hear that, that somebody's, you know, they're attending church and, and they, they talk a good talk about Christianity and, and going to church on Sunday, but, but they don't have a kind word to say about anybody, especially when they're not around. And you're having a hard time putting those things together. People look at the church and they go, you know, you, you talk so you know, vehemently against things like abortion and yet you're not willing to be compassionate and show love to, to these young moms that keep these kids. What, what, how do you put these things together? And Christianity's got this sort of disconnect where you've got a bunch of people who are imperfect and they claim to follow this God who is perfect, and, and it's just, it's a bit of a mess. Now, I want to say this. If you're here this morning and you can't stand hypocrites, you're not alone because Jesus couldn't stand them either. Jesus' harshest words were about hypocrites. They were against hypocrites. Jesus, he had... You know, he's got this rap as being, you know, so friendly and kind and always smiling at everybody. But if you read through the Gospels, you realize that Jesus is not smiling and friendly and kind when it comes to Pharisees and hypocrites and people who say one thing but do a complete different thing. 
Let me give you a few verses here. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says this. He says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. In other words, Jesus says that not everybody who claims that he is their Lord, is he in fact their Lord. Not everybody who talks the talk and says, you know, praise Jesus. Not everybody, he says, who, who claims to know me will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying that about people that claim Jesus, and I think that some of those people, it might be here. You might be here. We might be here. Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do what my Father in heaven wants will enter. In other words, Jesus says, it's not enough for you to talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. Your life and your mouth, they have to sort of agree with each other. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Then I will tell them clearly, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who do evil. Jesus says, listen, there's going to be people who you're going to be surprised don't make it. He says, because there are going to be people who who had their name in lights. These are going to be the sort of the showstopper Christians. These are going to be the prominent folks who, who did many miraculous deeds in my name. These are going to be the people that could fill the house with my name. And he said, don't be surprised that when they use my name, powerful things happened because my name is powerful. He said, but just because they knew how to use my name doesn't mean they knew me. Just because they knew to call on my name in the crowd doesn't mean that they called on my name when it was just me and them. Jesus says, not everybody who calls on my name, who who just says it out loud, he says, if it's for show, he said, don't think we know each other. Matthew 20, 13, or 23, 13, he says this, he says, how terrible it will be for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you pretenders. Jesus just calls them out. He says, you pretend. He said, you are pretenders. He said, you need to know what's going to happen. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you yourselves do not enter, and you will not let those enter who are trying to. Jesus said that there's a type of hypocrite, and maybe it's every type, that that claims to know me, but ends up shutting the doors in people's faces. That as they come to know God, they just shut the door and they say, no, you can't go in there, and I'm not going to go in either. These are people who literally keep people from entering the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, I have absolutely no patience for you. Jesus couldn't stand hypocrites. He can't stand hypocrites. These people that pretend to know God, but don't truly know him. Now, now, whenever I preach on this, whenever I talk about hypocrites, I, I, there's, there's always a, a sweet brother or sister here that is going to have in their mind and their heart to say, well, you know what, I, I'm a Christian, but, but I know that I'm not perfect. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you. If you're here and you're going, you know what, I know that I'm not perfect, I know that my life isn't together, and yet I'm a Christian, and I tell people that I'm a Christian, you know what, that's like all of us, right? None of us are perfect. You should be a little fearful if you're here this morning and you're going, yeah, I've never done that. Yeah, that's not my problem. Yeah, I'm pretty much, pretty much everything I do just totally lines up with itself. You know, I'm a Christian here, I'm a Christian there. You know, everybody just like, they just look at me and they know that I'm a Christian. You might ought to be just a little bit worried. That, that might ought to be something you think about a little bit later today. But if you're here this morning and you go, man, do you know what? I'm not perfect. I don't live up to God's expectations. I, I know that I need Jesus. That's why Jesus came. Because you're not perfect, and you do need him. Let me tell you, Jesus has incredible patience for sinners. 
If you're here this morning and you go, that's me, I'm a sinner, let me tell you, Jesus has patience for you. Jesus is constantly opening the door for, for people that are like prostitutes. He's constantly opening the door of the kingdom of heaven for people that are like tax collectors, for people that are outside, for people that have been shunned, for people that have been rejected. Jesus is constantly opening the door and saying, God's got a place for you. But for the people who are like, I, you know, I think my life's pretty good, but, you know, uh, I, maybe I'll give this a shot. Jesus is like, there's, there's not really any room for you here. He sort of sums it up this way when he says it in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. He says, Jesus heard that. Now, what is that? These are some people who are talking about Jesus. They're talking about Jesus because he's constantly like having dinner with sinners. And they're like, can you believe this guy's always eating with sinners? And here's what Jesus says. He says, listen, those who are healthy don't need a doctor. Sick people do. He said, I have not come to get those who think they're right with God to follow me. I've come to get sinners to follow me. Jesus says, listen, if your life's all together and you're well and you're not sick, he said, listen, I didn't come for you. Now, some of us might go, well, that sounds a little harsh, but, but is it? I mean, how many times have you been to the doctor and you've totally ignored everything your doctor's told you? Yeah, it's getting a little uncomfortable now, isn't it? It's getting a little real, right? Your doctor's like, you should lose weight. And you're like, oh, yeah. I'm telling you, you should exercise. Oh, yeah, every, every five days a week, I'm going to go. You, know, you should stop, like, smoking a pack a day. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop smoking a pack. You should stop drinking like a fish. Yeah, I, I'm not going to do that anymore either. And, and you leave, and you, you, know, you leave the doctor's office, and you're like, you know what would make this all better? It's like a double cheeseburger, like a big, like a triple, like a triple baconator. That's what I, I need a triple baconator and a big frosty, and I'm going to, you know, finish this pack of cigarettes, and, you know, tomorrow I'm going to get started. But we know how that goes. It, it's, you know, you do nothing. And so if you then, like, have a heart attack, you know, we're not wishing this on anybody, but then if you have, like, a heart attack, you can't go back to your doctor and be like, this is your fault. Well, n- not really. I told you you should stop doing these things, and you just ignored me. This is Jesus. Jesus is saying, listen, I've come, and I've been teaching. I've been telling you about the kingdom of God. And some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I'll get rid of that eventually. And others are so hungry for these words. They go, Jesus, my life is a mess. I'm definitely going to do this. And they leave, and they start, and they try, and they turn their lives around. This is what we call repentance. When you hear the words of God, and your life changes. That's what it's about. Jesus says, if, if you think you're well, I, I can't help you because you won't let me help you. Jesus is saying, listen, I have come for the people that are imperfect. I've come for the people who are sick, who know that they're sick. And listen here, if you're this morning and you're here and you're a Christian and you know you're imperfect, Jesus came for you. So be patient because God isn't finished with us. He's not finished with me. He's not finished with you. We're all works in progress. Jesus came to save us because we are imperfect. Like that's the whole point. Right? Jesus came because we're imperfect. Why are you a Christian? Well, the answer should be because I'm imperfect, and I knew that, and I needed Jesus. Why am I a Christian? It's because I'm imperfect. I knew that, and I knew that I needed Jesus. That, that's, that's why you're a Christian. That, that's why you come to know Christ. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says this, God's grace has saved you because of your faith in Christ. In other words, God saves you because you believe that Jesus can save you, and you don't believe that you can save yourself. He, he, Paul says this, he says, your salvation doesn't come from anything you do, it is God's gift. God gives you this gift of salvation. It's not based on anything you've done. Nobody can brag about earning it. 
That's, that's the truth about Christianity. God gives us salvation. God, God gives us this life because we know that our life is imperfect. We know that we don't have things together. Now, there's a $10 theological word that's associated with this, and it's justification. That's the word, justification. We don't use this a lot in, in the world, but, but the word means this. It's just real simple. It means that when you have faith in Jesus Christ, and you come to God and you say, you know, God, my life is a mess, and you surrender your life to him, this is where God looks at you and says, you know, you are now justified. And what that means is God declares you righteous. God declares you holy. Because he looks at you through, through the blood of Jesus Christ and he sees the work of Christ in you. And he says, you know what, I, when I look at you, I see my son. I see Jesus. I see perfection. And so through that act, God justifies us. He declares us righteous. He declares us holy. Now there's another $10 theological word that, that we need to know about. And that is this word, it's sanctification. Now, this is not a word that I think we ever use in the world. And this word simply means this. It means that God then makes us holy. God then makes us righteous. So in justification, God declares us righteous. He declares us holy. But through the process of sanctification, he makes us righteous and he makes us holy. And here's the news is it takes a long time. Like it takes your entire life. Like, I've never met anybody who I look at them and I'm like, yep, they're fully sanctified now. I've yet to meet that person. If you're here and you think you're in the running, you've got some, you've got some work to do, okay? We could talk about that later. I have office hours. We could meet. Because it takes a lifetime, all right? I, I often tell my wife, I'm going to have this all figured out and I'm going to be like, I get it. And then I'm going to have a heart attack and be like, I got it. And then I'm going to die. That, that's how it works, okay? That's just how it works. It's not done until you're done, if you know what I'm saying that's sanctification. And let me tell you, the thing with sanctification is it's hard, and God can use everything and will use everything and does use everything that happens to you in life. The good stuff, the bad stuff, your relationships, all of those things, God uses those to, to sort of sand off the rough edges. He uses those to purify you, to make you righteous, to make you holy. He, he can use anything that you surrender to him, and God is constantly calling you to things that will lead you into more and more sanctification. I believe that's why God's called me into ministry, Be because I think God looked at me, and I, I don't think he said, you know what, man, it'd be really great if, if I could get you to come on my team, and you could, you could be there like every week and just, just talk. I don't think that's how that went. I think because everything God does, he does through this lens of sanctification. God is always trying to make us more holy. I think God looked at me, and I think, I think he said this. I think he said, you know what, if you're going to make it, you're going to need to be in church every week. And the only way you're going to get in church every week is if it's your job to be in church every week. So you're going to, that's, I'm sorry, this is your job. Now, some of you, you're on like the every other week plan. You know, God was like, you know, you don't have to be in church every week. You get the every other week plan. Now, we're here, you know, all every week. I don't know if some of you don't know that. We're here all the time. We're here every week. Now, now God might be doing something in your life and you don't need to be here every week. But me, I need to be here every week. That's, that's how that goes. Because everything that's happening, God is using to make us holy. He's using it to make us more righteous. And often this is stuff we don't like. I, I thought the most honest description of church comes, uh, came from Heather King. She's a writer. She's an NPR commentator. Uh, she's a recovering alcoholic. She's come to faith in Christ. Uh, and here, I just, I'm going to read from you, this is, I, I think it's a riot, nobody laughed, laughed in first service, so maybe you don't think it's funny either, but um, she reflects on her initial experience with the church. Here she says uh, this, she says, my first impulse was to think, my God, I, I don't want to get sober with these nutcases. 
uh, I don't want to go to church and worship with these nutcases. Uh, she said, you know, nothing shatters our egos like worshiping with people we did not handpick. The humiliation of discovering that we are thrown in with extremely unpromising people. People who are broken, misguided, wishy-washy, out for themselves. People who are us. But we don't come to church to be with people who are like us in the way we want them to be. We come because we have staked our souls on the fact that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the church is the best place, the only place to be while we all struggle to figure out what that means. We come to church, now get this, because we'd be hard-pressed to say which is the bigger of the two scandals of God, that He loves us or that He loves everyone else. Friends, that's it. We are here with imperfect people. We are here with people who are a work in progress. And you will meet people in the church that you don't like, okay? You will never find a perfect church. You will always find people that, that rub you the wrong way, that say things that you don't like, that, that, that challenge you, that are difficult, that cause you to be more like, well, like Jesus, right? More gracious and loving and patient and understanding and kind. But that's why we're here. We've got to be encouraged because God is doing this work in us and we're not alone. We've got to be patient because God isn't finished with us. And this work of sanctification is ongoing because we will never be perfect in this life. We will just not ever be perfect in this life. Mark Clark in his book says, uh, you know, often we take pictures of people, you know, where they are right now. And we do this all the time, right? We sort of take a picture of people. We take a snapshot of where they are in their life. We take a snapshot of what they're doing, what they're saying, how they're acting, how they're living. And we just take a picture of it in this moment. And then we sort of judge them based on that picture. We kind of look at them and we go, oh, well, that's, that's not what a Christ follower should look like. That, that's, not, that's not what a Christian should be. And, and he says, you know, that's the real problem is we shouldn't just take pictures of people and, and judge them based on that moment. He said, what we have to do is ask, where did they start? The most important question that we need to ask of everybody is, where did they start? You know, where did they start and how far have they come? That's the true test. You know, I love how John Orberg says this. He says, there's two questions you can always ask yourself to know if you're growing in your faith. Question one is, do I love God more now than I did a year ago? And the second question is, do I love people now more today? than I did a year ago? And if the answer is no, then you're not making much progress because we should be growing in love towards people that are around us. We're not ever going to be perfect. We're always going to struggle with this. That's just how it is. Even Paul talked about that. Paul talked about how he had these two natures inside of him. He said he's always wrestling with the two. But here's the hopeful word. Philippians chapter 1 says this, I'm sure that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on until it's completed. In other words, Paul says, listen, God is going to finish. He's not finished yet, so be patient. God isn't finished yet, but he will finish. That's that word yet. He will finish at some point. What point is that? That will be on the day Christ returns. That's when we'll all be made perfect. That's when we'll all become as righteous as God has declared us, as holy as God has said we are. Not, not that long ago, I ran across this um, article about... Um, a project called the uh, Symphony for a Broken Orchestra. It uh, happened in Philadelphia. The Philadelphia School District had a, um, you know, they did an inventory of all the instruments that they owned. 
And they found that they had a thousand instruments sitting in classrooms and storage rooms and lockers and warehouses that were not playable because they were like maybe missing strings or had things broke off and they couldn't play all of their notes and they were, some of them, you know, completely unplayable. And they wanted to do something because they needed to fix these so they could have a thriving music program. And, and so they partnered together with an orchestra, they partnered together with this uh, Emmy or winning composer, and they, they partnered together with a few other nonprofit organizations, and they had this big event called Symphony for a Broken Orchestra, where the guy wrote a song, a piece, for all of these broken instruments. Now, I, I listened to the piece. It was, they call it a minimalist piece. Um, it, it's not anything you would want to run out and buy. I'll tell you that right now. I, was, I had high hopes that it was really, really... <laughs> Really beautiful. If you're into like weird new age music, this is right up your alley. You just Google this, it's on YouTube. Um, but I like the sentiment because I think that the sentiment is true that God is taking all of us in our brokenness and He is writing a, a life for me and for you, but more importantly, He's writing one for us. That when we come together, we become the body of Christ. And I don't think there's a better picture of the church than this. You know, I think this is why even something like church membership is important. Because when you make a commitment to be a member of a church, what you're doing is you're formalizing your commitment to grow with us. You're saying, you know what, These, this church, this might be a group of nutcases, but this, this is my group of nutcases. This church, there might be hypocrites here, but you know what, these are my hypocrites. This church might be a mess, but it's my mess. And together we are all a work in progress. God is doing something in us. I think often we want a perfect church or a perfect group of people. You won't ever find them. And the sad news is this, is if you did find them, you couldn't join them because you would ruin it for everybody else. It's just how it is. And so we've got to say, you know what? This is the group. These are the people. We're going to make this happen. We're going to see what God is going to do in us. And I'm going to commit myself to working with these people, to growing with these people, to seeing what God is going to do in us. That's what we're going to do. And it's amazing. When we come together with all these people we think are totally different from us, you know, we're totally better than they are. Some of them are maybe better than we are. They think that they're better than we are. We find that we've got all of these things in common. Uh, I ran across this story, a guy by the name of Randy worked with a guy by the name of Gary. They were movers. They worked for a furniture delivery company. They rode in the same, you know, two-seat cab, driving through the East Coast streets, delivering furniture. They'd look at each other constantly. One's got one side of the sofa. The other guy's got the other side of the sofa. One guy goes backwards this time. The other guy goes backwards next time. They're constantly having this interaction. And as they deliver furniture, more often than not, people will look at them and they'll say, hey, are you guys brothers? And they'll be like, no, we're, no, we're, not, no, we're not related. But the truth of the matter is that they were. They were both adopted and they didn't have any idea what their birth family you know, story was. And so everybody kept telling them they looked related. And one of the brothers had done a little bit of research and he said, you know what? Maybe we are. And so he started looking, started doing some research, and he couldn't get all of the records because of the way that, uh, you know, things were sealed. But he found out that his brother was born on June 10th, 1974. And so the next stop that they were at, you know, where somebody said, man, you guys, you guys look like you could be brothers. They got back in the cab, and he said to this guy, he said, hey, when's your birth date? And the guy said it was June 10th, 1974. 
And that's when the story came out and they shared the story. And these guys who had been working together all found out that they had always been related to each other, that they belonged to each other as brothers. The story made the news a few weeks later. They found out that they also had a sister who had been looking for them as well. And friends, I, I think that in many ways that's us as Christians. That's us as people. Because when we come to know God, He brings us together. That's one of the beautiful things that Scripture tells us is that God just didn't come to bring us closer to Him, but He came to bring us closer to each other, to make in Himself one body. That's the church. And when we come together, we find, you know what? We belong to each other. We're brothers and we're sisters. Friends, this morning, as our worship team comes out, we've got a time of decision coming up. And perhaps you've got a decision today to make. We're going to, I'm excited, we are going to celebrate a baptism this morning. That's going to be great. But perhaps for, for you, you've got a decision to make too. Maybe it's for you to accept Christ for the very first time. If so, man, let's make today the day you acknowledge God as your Heavenly Father. And you acknowledge the church as your family. Others of you, you've been baptized and you've been here for a while, but you've never made the commitment to say, you know, this is going to be my church home, and I'm going to serve and I'm going to work and I'm going to grow with these people. If that's a decision you have to make, come forward. Let's, let's make that official today.